The Reinvent You podcast is designed to provide tangible advice that will help transform those who have experienced a divorce or a breakup into rediscovering their voice, regaining their power, and obtaining their freedom by focusing on mindset, emotions, finances, health, faith, love, parenting, and building meaningful relationships. These weekly talks are designed to assist individuals to become the best version of themselves in their personal lives, families, and professional environment. I'm your host, Tanya Carter, and thank you for joining. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 63 of the Reinvent You podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Carter, and thank you so much for joining me this week. Last week um, on episode 62, I discussed five relationships that should be avoided. And one of those types of relationships that we need to avoid are relationships that involve mental, emotional, and or physical abuse. And the reason why I place this under one category is because abuse is abuse. And many people view domestic violence as only like a physical act, but abuse is not only physical, but it's sexual, emotional, economic, or even psychological actions that influences another person. And also many people um, misinterpret that domestic violence is only geared towards maybe a certain race or even a gender, but Um, The truth is it can happen to anyone of any race, any age, any sexual orientation, religion, or even gender. Uh, It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter if you're married, living together, or dating. No one is actually exempt from this form of abusive behavior. And because we are still in the month of October, October is known for Domestic Violence Awareness Month and is is designed to support victims and survivors as well as educate and raise awareness about this common issue. And when someone has been a victim of abuse, it impacts how they think and it also impacts how they interact with the world. This constant chronic exposure impacts mental stability, It increases their anxiety. Uh, You can um, be diagnosed with PTSD. Um, You can have depression symptoms and even find yourself disassociating from others. And for those who are listening right now, some of you may be in this situation now or out of it, but still connected to all the impact that it, it it has had on you. And what I wanted to do today, I wanted to bring a friend of mine. Um, who I've met along this journey of growth. Um, Interesting enough, I saw a post on her page a few weeks ago indicating that she was a survivor of domestic violence. And I DM'd her and I told her that I I didn't know that at all. And, And truthfully, it really wasn't for me to know. But I think what this indicates is that you just never know people's story. You know, it just always reaffirmed that you just never know what people go through. And i asked her would she like to come on and and talk about this and she was like sure girl and so my guest for today is Miss Dana truly inspired Martin okay had we had to throw that up in there because that's that's what she go by okay got to put some respect on it all right um (laughs) Dana (laughs) Dana is a native of New Jersey she's an author she's a speaker a certified reset coach that teaches women how to go from BS (laughs) to success in their lives by increasing their emotional intelligence and becoming more self-aware. She's also the founder of Spoken for Causes, which is a nonprofit organization to help women get past their domestic violence situations and combating recidivism. She's a graduate of Clark Atlanta and have received many awards as well as being featured on platforms such as Rolling Out, Voyage, ATL, Fox, and NBC. Dana believes we are all given a reset button, a chance to move past from the BS in our lives to unlock the success you desire and deserve. Your yesterday is a life lesson in your book of becoming. Learn the lesson and move into your greater. And so without further ado, Dana, welcome. I am so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. It's so important. 
Um, I'm so appreciative of meeting you on my journey because I've seen you moving and shaking and I love what you're doing. So I'm glad that I can be a part of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's amazing because we just really met because we knew a lot of the same people in, in the yeah. circle of growth that we've been doing. And, and we just met along the way. And when I saw that you, you said you were an actual two time survivor. Um, and I didn't put that in her bio, but she was like, yeah, I'm a domestic, I'm a survivor of two situations. And um, that, that just said, I was just like, wow. And, and yeah. seeing your journey now and you becoming and you hitting the reset button has been phenomenal. Um, when it came to that situation of you being a domestic violence survivor twice, when did it start? And when Oof. did you realize that you were a victim? That's that's OK. So the very first uh, situation that I was in, I was in high school, actually. So yeah. my first domestic violence um, encounter was in high school. And to be completely transparent, I had daddy issues, right? Um, so I had, um, my father was present, but he didn't have the presence that I needed at that time. So I went searching for men, literally men to fill these voids. And we're talking about me being 13, 14, 15 years old, dealing with what I'm looking back now. I'm like, okay, that was kind of R. Kelly-ish, right? Um, I was definitely dealing with guys that were 20 in their 20s. And I was a teenager, right? Um, and I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, I was really looking for somebody to fill a void, right? And I started to think back and I'm like, wow, what I thought was love, um, because this person would tell me they love me and they care about me because I lack that from my dad in the sense of which I needed it. So when this man is telling me that he loves me and he cares about me and baby girl, I'm gonna take care of you and just all those little things that I was just like, dang, I really wanted this. I was getting it from someone. And I remember the situation I was in, I want to say about ninth, 10th grade, somewhere around there. It was like somewhere between nine and 11th grade. I know I was like coming out of my freshman year, going into sophomore and I was dealing with someone. And I remember it got really, really intense with us. Like he would just always seem so on top of every little thing that I was doing. Like he wanted to know what time I got out of school, where was I going to be, where could he pick me up from? And, and it was just so much control that I had to start making up certain lies to my mother to make sure that I could go see him, to hang out with him. Right. And he used to always tell me he loves me and I'm like, oh my God, you know, he's, he's buying me stuff. He's taking me places. He's picking me up, you know, making the girls at school jealous. Cause Ooh, she got a guy that picks her up in a car, right? Like you're young. So other females look at it like, wow, this is an amazing situation. But I remember, um, I was at his house and we had a conversation and I said something to him about something that happened in school that had to do with some guy at school. And he kind of just yoked me up, like took his hand and put around my neck and like threw me against the wall and was like, don't you ever bring up no effing person in here. Like, don't and bring this up. Was when you, and this was when you, when you was in high school. I was in high school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And to be honest, the more that I start looking back, there was more than one situation with more than one person. Um, but that the reason why I only claim those two is because those are the ones that I was aware of. Those are the ones that I actually can take inventory and say, wow, that was domestic violence. And then now that I look back, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of other things that I that I didn't know in that moment was was violent, right? Like just holding holding money, economic um, domestic um, violence, like economic abuse. He would not want to, he would hold money over me. Like, I know that you can't get anything from your mom today. So if you want this $50, you'll do this. If you want this, you'll do this, right? Mm -hmm. And not realizing that that was a form of control. Um, right. Whether I was young or old, doesn't matter. It was a form of control for you to think that it was okay to hold a rabbit, a carrot over a rabbit, for lack right. of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. And say, here, if you really want this carrot, you'll do this, right? And I'm looking back at those situations on the people that didn't necessarily put their hands on me, but they found it in their best favor to tell me what I could and couldn't do or hold something over me in hopes to control my mind, my body, or it's my soul in some way. But the guy that actually put his hands on me, 
I went through so many different levels with that situation. First, it started with the hand around the neck. Then it started with the degrading words, like calling me a bee and calling me fat. And I remember that's when a lot of that stuff started to get into my psyche of, okay, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough. And he used to talk about my teeth, talk about the way I walk, talk about my stomach, but then turn around in the same note and say, but I love you though. <laughs> right. And, and so you over time again, yeah. because this is constant patterns, right. Of yeah. what someone has done. And over time, like you said, psychologically, you actually start to make that be the narrative over you. Um, when you first experienced that, were, did you make excuses or did you, what was going on in your head at that moment after, or even during when he did that? Or I would definitely say maybe after the fact, um, did, was it something that you excused or was it something that you thought would maybe get better? You know, just absolutely excuses okay. because as a woman, um, I can speak for me. I can't speak for everybody. Right. But as a woman myself, I'm, I'm a nurturer at heart. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to be superwoman. Like I'm going to change this situation. I'm going to save you. This is something, was it something I did? Did I provoke you? Did I say something that, you know, really set you off? You're going through all these different situations in your head and you're like, yo, I know that that's something that was probably my fault. Like you start to nitpick at yourself and blame yourself for every one of those instances that happened without allowing that person to take accountability. And that's when I wow. started to realize that I'm, I'm always, and I was always in this state of trying to fix everything, even with the other relationship that happened in my adulthood after college, right? Even that relationship where I dealt with domestic violence again on another level, I realized that there was a pattern, right? We go through cycles and if we don't break the cycle, then there's no way for us to fix what this pattern is. And I'm realizing that, okay, I was in another, another place in my life at an older age, never dealt with the issues that, that I dealt with back then. Like I never faced it and said, wow, you actually were abused. You actually dealt with stuff that you never cleared in your mentality. So now you feel like this is embedded in you and this is okay. So now when I'm older and I'm dealing with that on another level, now I'm okay with saying, okay, I can fix this. Okay. Maybe I'm the one that's tripping. And I realized that I was reliving that same pattern again with the new person in an older age. So I had to kind of get to a place in my mind where I did not allow that to take place. Mm, wow, that's powerful. Um, and so you said it took place. The first thing that you noticed it took place was high school. And then you said a second one in your adult years. And it was like another level. Um, yeah. Could you talk about that for a second? Um, your adult relationship that you you had um, experienced domestic violence in? Um, so the adult one, I remember um, meeting him at a very, a, a lower point in my life where I was dealing with a lot of self-love issues, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Um, and he literally swept in like a savior, for lack of a better word. He swept in like a savior and started buying me stuff and loving on me and, and, you know, telling me he loves me and doing this and doing like everything. It was just like, oh my God, I deserve, I deserve this. I deserve to be loved. And not knowing that he was building up a wall to be able to control me. Right. Because I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I don't really need to go to work. I don't really need to do this because I got him. Right. And I think that's where a lot of my self-independence came from. Like, I don't care what relationship I'm in now. I'm getting ready to get married now. And I'm still like, I need my own thing. Because Congratulations. I remember, thank you. <laughs> I remember going back in my mind and I said, I would never allow somebody to control me financially again, um, spiritually, because um, that's a that's a whole thing. Like I went through a whole period with him where I wasn't even allowed to say the word God in the house. I couldn't listen to gospel music. Um, he started acts like basically stopping me from going to church, like just all types of stuff when it came to, he denounced God himself, right? He would talk about, you know, um, the devil, the God is not real. Um, we live in a world where the devil rules everything. Like I'm talking about reprogramming who I am and what I was taught 
that was coming from him from a spiritual side emotionally he would talk down to me and tell me all types of stuff and i remember one of the the last straws for me was when i i believe i came home i went out of town for my aunt's funeral i believe it was or it was some funeral or some event and i came back to the house and i found this big hoop earring in the bedroom in the other bedroom and it said like thick chick or something like something I would never wear right Mm -hmm. and he just started gaslighting me I'm showing him the earring and I'm like whose is this and he's like I don't know that's yours it can't be mine I mean I I mean it's not mine and I'm like I don't wear stuff like this so whose is this he was like don't come at me with that stuff like it just started we just started going back and forth and we got into this huge argument the argument ended that night the next the next day we got into a whole conversation and he was just like, I don't know where that came from. Still, still going with the same narrative. That same following week, I went to go get my annual pap smear, right? I do it every year. It's normal all the time. This time I go to the doctor, they do the test. They're like, okay, we'll only call you if something's wrong, right? And I'm like, of course, I know the, I know the routine because I never get a call, right? And I remember two days later, I got a call. And I'm like, this can't be good. Why are y'all mm-hmm. calling me? And I called and they called me and they said, hey, everything looks good, but you have chlamydia. And I said, well, (laughs) that's not possible. Like, I only have sexual intercourse with one person and one person only. They said, well, do you know what his activities are? I said, he's he's faithful. I mean, we've been together like he's he's not with anybody else. And they were like, well, you might want to find out because you know, we're going to give you antibiotics. You'll be good, thankfully, this time. But it could have been something worse. They was like, so you might want to find out. I got off the phone, hysterically crying. Got on, called him. I think he was at work. I called him and I said, yeah, I just got a call, got off a call with, you know, the clinic. And they told me that I have chlamydia. And he goes, where'd you get that from? And I said, sir, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Where did I get that from? It, the only, there's only one that I have sex with, and that's you. He gets silent, takes a deep breath, and he was like, okay, well, you know what? To hell with it. I went and got my my shot or my pill a couple weeks ago, and I guess you should go get yours too. And I'm like, what What are you talking about? He was like, I mean, things happened, okay? He was like, I wasn't happy. I stepped out a few times. He was like, I mean, but I don't know how you got anything because I used a condom every time I cheated on you. And I said, every time? We're just going back and forth on the phone. And he was like, I don't have time for this and hangs up. Later, he comes home. We start talking about it. We get into this huge, huge brawl about it. He's like yelling at me. He's throwing me against the wall. Like we're going back and forth. And I'm saying to him, why would you do this? Like what happened? He was like, every time I cheated on you, I had to use the condom. And I'm like, every time, how many freaking times, right? I'm getting angry now. 10 plus this man cheated on me with 10 plus women and then gave me an STD that luckily I could get rid of this time. That was my awakening moment because I done been through the economic abuse with him where he was, you know, taking care of me and then tried to hold the money from me. Mm-hmm. He would take my car and, and drive all over, go out with his friends at night and everywhere else and leave me trapped in the house. So I couldn't do anything. I went through the spiritual abuse with him where he would not allow me to talk about God, listen to gospel music or go to church. And I've been, I went through the mental, the emotional, the physical, I've gone through everything with him and nobody, every, to the, everybody on the outside, she's in this amazing relationship where this guy takes care of her, right. not knowing what I was going through and not everything is what it seems. A lot of people think oh, that yeah, he's something and you're like, damn, I wish I had a life like theirs. Not all right. Always. Absolutely. How long was that? How long did that pattern um, continue? How long were you all together? Uh, just about a year and a half. Okay. The first six months. Wow. And so you you said that you had, that was your awakening, Yeah. which is, which is kind of what I want to get into. Um, because you mentioned that you, you had that high school, um, situation, but I don't know if there was an awakening there of realizing that it was actual abuse. Yeah. Right. Call, calling it for what it is, because it's easy to minimize something um, and then only to realize that you got involved with something else that was very similar 
to something previously. And so when you had that awakening, what did you do? What, what were, what was the next step after having that aha moment? I, I literally made a plan to leave because there was a lot of times when I was upset with him and I'd be like, I'm leaving him. I'm done. And I would like half in half out. I would never, I would never go. I think also one of the awakening moments was me trying to heal the relationship with my father. When I started the steps towards talking to him more and verbalizing um, what I'm going through on a emotional level as a daughter, I think the more I started to unravel that, the more I realized that it was more of an issue of not having him versus and not understanding what my worth was versus me just allowing any old thing to happen to me. But I think the click for me was I've I've never been in a relationship with someone that gave me something that could have turned into something permanent, that could have destroyed my life, that could have destroyed my reproductive system, like all types of things. You gave me something that I almost couldn't give you back if that makes sense. Like I could, this was not the type of love that I envisioned in my head. And I don't know what happened. You know, like how sometimes they talk about you have like cherry goggles or whatever they call them, like the the little drinking goggles and you see somebody in this beautiful light for this whole time. (laughs) I started seeing him as this ugly little troll. (laughs) Like I literally just started looking at him like, what do I see in you? Like, why would I accept this? It, 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 I don't know what everybody else's situations look like, but for me, it literally felt like somebody came in and hit a light switch. Mm. And it was, what are you doing? Like, this is not okay. You're worth more than this. And the, and the situation of separation was hard. It was hard because I was also in a place of being very codependent because mm. I felt like I needed him. I felt like he had, and he used to always say that, like, nobody's going to treat you as good as I am. Nobody's going to take care of you. You'll never find a man like me. Using in, using those, those words to program things into my psyche that I started to really believe. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, I don't know if I should really go. Like, am I really still going to need you? And we just went through this back and forth for a while until I realized that it was just time to go. Yeah, that actually kind of goes into, I was going to ask, did you have withdrawals of going back? But I think you kind of answered it when you said when you constantly being told you know you basically you can't live without me you'll never meet someone without me yeah going going to you know kind of fighting that narrative of what's been said versus what is actually true can can definitely be challenging this is my next question I know you mentioned that you said there was a plan you had to have a plan yeah Um, what was what was that plan for you Listen, <laughs> the, the plan, the plan was day by day, to be honest right. with you. Okay. Um, I remember seeing a statistic before that said, um, I think a lot of women that's in domestic violent relationships, they attempt to leave three to five times, sometimes up to 20 times. I've even heard that. Right. But I was in that stage of the three to five times. Like, I'm like, okay, should I go back? okay, I I won't necessarily live with you, but let me just stay with you for a second until I find somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of me still trying to be attached in some way. And I remember I had to verbalize what I was dealing with. Um, I still wouldn't let out the part about being abused to, to that level, but I would just keep telling one of my friends that I was so unhappy. I said, I just, I, I, I just kept saying unhappy. I said, I don't want to be here anymore. The way he's treated me is just not right. I would never come out and say I was abused or he hits me or anything. That's why nobody really knew what I was dealing with. Because for some reason, in the back of my mind, I was still trying to protect him. I was still trying to like paint him as this person that's not that bad. Mm, that's what oh, that's I, I hate to interrupt you. Go ahead. You said something that I want to touch on right there. It's okay. not that bad. That part. Yeah. Right. What happens? Because I'm I'm gonna um share something and I want you all to listen as well who's listening on the podcast. I had someone email me a while back and her situation was physical, which I'm sure it was other things as well. Right. But she basic she she had a black eye um from the physical abuse and literally indicated in my email that it's not that bad. 
And I'm thinking not that bad must mean no blood. Not that bad must not mean in a hospital or something broken. Yeah. But that denial piece. Yeah. Because when we minimize that part, then we sometimes just can't accept it for what it is to leave. And you mentioned that I still wanted to protect him, even if that meant not even protecting you. Yeah. What, um, what does, what, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and what does that, how can someone get to denial, get from denial to a place of realizing that this really is what it is and calling it for what it is coming to that level of self-awareness? I honestly felt like to a certain degree, I was going through the stages of grief right. and I was grieving, letting something go that I thought was good for me and, and mm. losing what I thought was a part of me in that moment. So me going through the denial phase was me just grieving a loss that was about to take place. And to get to that place of acceptance, right? You go through the anger, you go through the, the, the self-doubt, you're going through all these different things. And then you have to get to a place of realization of how did that person make me feel? What did I go through? Right? Like, did, did I, did I feel like I was at my best with this person? Like there was just so many different emotions. Like, well, did the good days outweigh the bad? Like I had to start really like taking assessment of what I was going through. Like, heck no, the bad outweighed the good. Like there, there was more minuses than there were pluses. And I had to really, really start taking note for myself because I started to feel like I was losing myself. And I just kept saying exactly what you said too, because you, you were hitting it. It's not that bad. Like I'm not in the hospital, right? It's not that bad. Like if I tell somebody now, will they believe me because they don't see the bruises anymore? Like it's, it's not that bad. Like I'm, I'm not dead. I'm not on my dying bed, right? Like I've seen people with worse. That's what you start thinking in your head. Like I hear people talk about domestic violence all the time. I've seen people with worse situations. Mine's not that bad, mm. right? Like, yeah. and you start to just minimize how you feel. And that's the part where you, you disassociate yourself with the situation. And you're just saying it's not that bad because you're, you're looking at this grand scope of what domestic violence is said to be versus what you're dealing with. And you're like, okay, well, maybe it might be, is this abuse? I don't know. Maybe I triggered him. Maybe it's like, you're coming up with every other thing besides this is not okay. And I'm not okay. And when you get to that place of self-awareness, when it's, I'm not okay, how did this make me feel? How does this person make me feel? Am I in a place where my good days outweigh my bad? Like, am I ready to leave? What does leaving look like? What will it affect? Like, you got to be prepared for what your end game looks like. And that's what my preparation looked like. But I was also in this place of, I don't want people to think that I was stupid enough to stay in this situation long. And I don't want them to think that he is this horrible person because here I am still saying that this is the love of my life and I love this man and he treats me so good. I don't want y'all to have any power over me to say that I was stupid, to say that I stayed too long or to even have anything to say to him. Because in that moment, while in the midst of me trying to leave, I was still trying to find a way to fix the situation where there's a possibility that we're still together in the end. Mm. And I think that's, that's what it didn't look that bad to me felt and look like. Mm. Wow. That's, that's real powerful. Um, and I know you mentioned you, did you get any type of counseling or therapy or anything to that degree? So I've done um, therapy two different times in my life. One okay. Uh, which a lot of people don't know, I tried therapy with him. Um, so I, I tried to go to couples therapy with him and i never forget that session, okay? I tried because I'm like, let's give this one good last hoorah. Like we, we can fix this. And we went to couples counseling and she asked him some question that triggered something about our relationship. And she asked him something and she, he was like, she said something like, just be honest. And I'm sitting on one side of the couch. He's sitting on the other. And he literally says, 
I don't know why we're here because I don't want to be with her. Like, I'm done with this relationship. I don't know why we're here. I'm not happy. I mean, I enjoy having sex with other women. I'm, I, I don't know why, why we keep trying to make this work. And she literally looks at me and she said, Dana, did you hear what he just said? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he always talking like that. I was like, but we're trying to figure this out because that's why he said he wanted to come here. She said, you sure he didn't want to come here because he just needed a mediator to get it through your head? And I was just like, no, still in this denial phase. I'm still in this denial phase of he just tripping. He'll be all right. <laughs> and I'm not realizing that, you know, when they tell you, like when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Absolutely. I remember the very first week, the very first week where we were together, he said, I've never been faithful to a woman before, but for you, I'm going to try. And I remember saying, you've never been faithful to a woman ever in your life, but for me, you're going to try. I'm like, okay, well, I must be special. And I cannot um, understand why he thought that it was going to be something special for me to be able to be faithful all of a sudden to me. But when I think back and I'm looking back at the situation, when it got to the end of it, I'm looking back and I'm like, you told me you're not faithful. Like you told me, but you tried to glaze it over with that little narcissistic behavior. But for you, baby, I'm going to make it work. <laughs> and right. I'm back at all of that. And I'm like, no, that was you telling me who you were ahead of time. And then you tried to tell me again during therapy while I'm trying to fix something that's already broken. I think a lot of times we're just trying so hard to be the fixers, to be the nurturers, to be the super women. And we're forgetting that sometimes the proof is literally in the pudding, like mm. it can in bold face letters. And we'll be in such denial because we're trying to fill a void. We're trying to fill something with something that we don't realize that we don't need. Wow. So, yeah. Nah, that's, that's really good. And you went to couples therapy and did you do therapy the second time was just solo? So, so I've been going to therapy now for like the past two years. Um, wow. So, and I feel like therapy is just an amazing thing for anybody, whether you've gone through trauma or not. Um, whatever it may look like. I talked to her about everything. Um, and I feel like even though she, I remember she said something to me the other day, like the conversations we have, she was like, the way you talk about your past situation, she was like, you're just so strong in it. She was like, you're just empowered in it now. You, you are like, I, you, you do have an <laughs> energy going on. I, <laughs> you do. She was like, that's, what that's are we good. talking about? Like, do we even need to talk about this? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it to make sure that I'm not triggered anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because in the beginning of my relationship now, listen, I know I was a handful because he took me from a place where I was literally broken. I was definitely a hurt woman and I could care less if he wanted to stay or go. And he knew that it takes a certain type of person to be able to see you where you are and still want to take that on. And when I talked to my therapist about it, she was like, you... I can tell that you did some inner work because it's easier for you to talk about it than it probably would have been a few years back. She was like, it's just, I, you, you just kind of go through it. But for therapy for me now is to make sure that I'm still being aware of self and that I'm still being able to have those conversations for things that do trigger me. Because I remember there was something that happened to me when I was like 11, 12 years old. And a few years ago, I woke up like hot, sweating out of my sleep, crying off of an emotion that I felt like it felt real, like it was happening again from age 11, 12. Right. So just being able to have somebody balance that out, talk about it and really be able to process those things. Cause sometimes we're always saying we're okay and we're good, but we're not actually dealing with what that thing was. So now right. it's showing up in other parts of your life. So mm -hmm. therapy for me now is like, listen, I'm not missing a session. I'm like, listen, I don't care if I got to come in. We got to do it on video. We got to do it on phone because now that's a part of my self-care and that's how I keep myself regulated, if that makes oh, sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, earlier on, you mentioned about your, you, you had some, just some um, daddy issues. Yep. And um, have you, do, do you feel like you've accepted that and, and overcame that, that, that void? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
that's and and I guess another great part to that is like me and my dad is like that's my homie oh. now <laughs> oh. right oh no, that's that, that's good um what what inspired you to mend that relationship I think the older I got the real I, I realized there's lesser time with him on earth mm-hmm. um and I had to get to a place, listen, this takes growth. Okay. I had to get to a place where I realized that your parents can only teach you what they were taught to a certain degree. I had to understand what his upbringing looked like and understand why he is the way he is Mm. while also validating my own feelings. Right. Holding space for both. I had to hold space for both. Like, okay, let's try to be understanding to who you are at the core, but not negating that I'm hurt too. Mm. Right. So I had a straight raw conversation with him about you never being the father that I needed you to be and, and telling him all the things I've gone through. He knows about the domestic violence. Like now he'll ask me all types of questions. Like the guy you're with right now, he's good. Right. Like you love him. Like he's not putting his hands on you. Like he'll, He'll have those questions. Like I had them meet. They love each other. Like I've never even had my dad meet anybody before because we weren't there. Right. And I think that mending that relationship has also established a new posture in myself Mm -hmm. because now it's like my dad will tell me certain things about men and things I should look out for and preparing for marriage. And, you know, we're talking about business because my dad's been an entrepreneur for the past 40 plus years. Right. So that's kind of where I get that part from he's a journalist he works in entertainment like all of that like he's done this forever so the more I get older too and I'm like dang I'm a lot like you like let Mm -hmm. me get to know you a little bit more right Right. so I had to kind of be accepting of who he was and what he went through you know he also lost both my mother and my father actually both lost their parents when they were younger like teenagers Mm. right so you're talking about raising yourself or your siblings raising you right right? so I had to kind of look at that like do you even have the maternal or the paternal you know instincts to really know what your daughter needed from you in the first place absolutely now he he a different person he's still my dad in the way that he's like you know Jamaican laid back don't really be caring what I'm talking about but (laughs) when I actually talk to him about stuff he pays attention And he listens and he calls and he engages and he listens to what I say I don't need or don't like. And he tries to, he tries his very best to meet those needs as a father. And I think the older you get, you just realize like time is short. Um, People are dying left and right. And I wanted to be able, because I remember um, growing up, um, probably up until early twenties. And my mom remembers this. I didn't care if my daddy will walk me down the aisle. Like, I didn't care about none of that stuff. Now I'm in the place where I'm like, you better, you know, like there's, that's a different dynamic because I had to heal that part. And I feel like by us healing that relationship, now I'm stronger in my own because now it's just, it's just a renewed strength to be honest, because now it's like daughters need their daddies, right. And sons need their mamas. Like that was kind of like that thing for me. Like I was missing that component and now I have it. So I think that also has a lot to do with the strength that I exude to other people. If that makes sense. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, I love that. And I'm really glad that you allowed yourself to see things in a different light of understanding that before he was a father, before he was anything, he was a, he was a little boy. Yes. Um, and, and what happens is a, a, quite a few of our parents are um, they may be adults, but they may still be operating at an age where they were hurt that they might not be aware of um, at that time. And so that's what I actually love. I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, that forgiveness piece is often overlooked and extremely underrated. Um, and I know you Ooh, mentioned said something about forgiveness. I'm sorry. I had to jump. Oh, go ahead. Funny story. (laughs) Forgiveness. I remember having to forgive the the second domestic violent relationship. I remember having to have to forgive him even for an apology that I thought I was never going to get. And if I did not forgive him, then I wasn't going to be able to move forward. Now, when I forgave him, 
guess who came crawling randomly in somebody's DMs apologizing and utilizing the words God in his apology? Mm. He did. Years later, just randomly apologizing and saying, you know, the way I treated you was absolutely wrong. The things I did to you, I should have never done. You didn't deserve any of that. And I pray that God helps you to forgive me. I'm looking like God, not the same God you denounced, right? Like, so I'm saying all that to say that when you forgive from a place of complete purity, you forgive for you, then the apology that you want or don't want, whatever, it may or may never come. But there's a certain peace that comes inside of you where you can move forward wholeheartedly when you learn how to forgive. And that's why I be telling people all the time that you always say you're okay and you're good. And I'm over that. You never know until something comes back up that triggers you. Ooh, and that's, yes. no. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Good story. Absolutely. Because I'm sure when, when you are at peace and when someone says that, it's one of those things where it doesn't bother you. It doesn't trigger you. You're, you're, yeah. You've came to a level of peace because you've, you've released yourself from that, from that stronghold. I like that. That's real powerful. Um, you mentioned that you you're getting married. Um, and at the beginning you said, um, you was like, I I knew I I was, I was in a place where, um, you, you maybe had a level of brokenness that he was willing to take on. Yeah. Um, were there things that you needed to unlearn as well as learn within Mm -hmm. yourself and the relationship? Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things I had to I, I had to learn that I didn't always have to be super strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to always be combative. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I realized that I learned a lot of negative talk, like talking to my partner in a demeaning or negative way. Right. He wasn't tolerating that. Um, so he he just told me he was like, I don't know what you you know might've accepted in the past or what went down in the past, but that's not what we're doing here. Like just teaching me to, it's crazy how, how much he taught me how to love myself in that whole thing. Cause I, he saw me going through my ups and downs, just reaffirming me, just allowing me to be me. And he helped me with my self love journey because he would love me with the wig off with the straight back braids, like <laughs> take the makeup off, sis. I don't need to see that. Like he, And I remember being in a relationship before where it was like, why don't you have no makeup on? You know, Mm -hmm. like that type of stuff. So he really, he's really literally taught me to unlearn certain things that I felt was normal. Like, oh, you, you don't want me to do what you don't want me to do. Cause I remember even in, in, in the domestic violence relationship, we were in the car driving from Chick-fil-A and I was eating food and it tastes so good. So I was like, you know, like when you get a little bit. And I remember dude pulled my car over on the side of the road, turned the radio down and said, shut the F up. Why are you chewing so loud? And I was like, I like sunk in. I was like, I was like, what is the problem? He was like, nobody wants to hear you effing chewing. And I'm like, oh my God, like, okay. He turned the music back up and started driving. And I just sunk. I just sunk in. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, that was like step one. That was the first time I realized something was off. And I remember being in my now relationship and I'm in the car for the first time we were like going out to eat or something. And I remember eating like this, like I was like real low, keeping my mouth together as much as I could. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to chew loud. I didn't want. And I remember saying to him, he, cause I think he looked at me and was like, yo, you okay? Like you, you a little, I said, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, chew too loud. I didn't, you know, want to cause any issues. And he said, cause any issues. And then I told him the story and he was like, girl, no, be yourself. Eat if you need to eat. And I remember that moment right there was like, wow, you're not him. It was like, I needed a reminder that you're not him. Mm -hmm. So like just those little things of him just teaching me, it's okay to be myself. It's okay to have gone through trauma to be broken. It's okay to, you know, live through your, your story and kind of like unpack it. And he's okay with me having my up moments and my down moments, but he's also not going to allow me to be in this place of mediocrity. 
And I think that's where he met me where I was. And now we're both kind of on an elevated stage. But yeah, heck yeah. I learned a whole lot. Listen, I was, wow. I was a little ashamed because I was really just, I was always on edge. Okay. Always. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like that. I, I, I love that. Um, that. That's really good and very powerful to hear. Um, cause I know, let me, I don't want to keep you too long, but I mean, this is so good. Cause, um, I, I love how you, you, you took ownership yep. despite of what happened. Right. Because I know you have survivors, right. You have people who get out of this situation, which is, which is good. Right. Cause that's what we want. But then we have this thriving part of ourselves, which we lead into a place of our purpose, our calling, um, evolving into who we were really destined to become. And so now we have Dana, who is a coach, an author, um, a speaker, has her own nonprofit organization to, to help women who are in these situations. What, what transpired you to elevate as opposed to saying, I'm out? And then just coasting, right? Because some people, they get out of situations, but they don't really truly thrive from those situations. What inspired you to say, I can't, I I can't be, I can't limit myself to a life where I know um, isn't really allowing me to shine and be my best self. What gave you that, that aha moment to do that part? I feel like I always knew that I was destined for something greater. That part. <laughs> situation, like everything went through. I'm like, yeah, this ain't it. <laughs> this can't be it. Like there right. has to be, there has to be another level. But I remember Absolutely. this one, this one situation. I spoke at a high school. This was like in 2013. I spoke at a high school, and I was like talking to young girls, and I was like da 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 da. Whatever I was saying, da 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 da. And then boom, I said something like, yeah, two time domestic violence in high school some something like it's kind of like slipped out and I was like oh shoot was I supposed to talk about that here oh shoot like I didn't even mean to tell y'all that like that's what I was thinking in the back of my head and then kept going kept going ended speech at the end of that I had like 15 young ladies come up to me and said thank you so much for talking about this like I'm dealing with this I'm going Mm. through high school this at home like high nobody, school. High school. Wow. And they're like, nobody comes in here and talks about this stuff. They're always talking about careers or this and that. And it was like, but I needed this. And here I was being selfish as hell, thinking that I was going to be like stones thrown at me if I spoke about my truth. And that's why I'm so, so big on speaking your truth now. And like, I'm real. I really push women that I coach, that I consult. Like, I really push women to be unapologetically who you are. Cause that person that shows up is the person that somebody's waiting on. And I think that's the part that the disconnect happens. Like, I had to realize that it wasn't an accident that I said that. And I knew that there was something greater. Like, everything I've gone through, I literally utilize right now in some capacity to help women or young girls. Everything. So I think it really just came down to me realizing that I had something greater for myself. So that's what I got on that. (laughs) Wow. No, I like that because it kind of goes into taking what you've been through and really expressing that a lot of young girls um, do go through this type of abuse that is often silence. And when we're talking about careers, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's great and all, but when you got that, that inner work that, isn't you know what I'm saying like that you can't bypass that that inner work it's just going to show up in every area of your life so I love that I got one more question okay and I'm gonna let you go okay so (laughs) you posted a quote because I girl I could just because when you talk I'd be like oh that's a good question I need to ask her a good follow-up so let me I'm gonna end it with this last question um what made me reach out to you was a post that you put up on your IG page and you said I see you I know you I was you just know that it starts with the decision to be plus to do and what I realized is there's a lot of women men people of all races that are out here dealing with this stuff in some form of silence and um, you may have some that who 
may have left the relationship, but you also may have some people that are still in it. And for those people who have left, they may not be with the person, but they could still be attached to the residue that these type of situations leave behind. Yeah. What would you like to say to that person right now? Ooh. There's a decision that has to be made. There's mm-hmm. always a decision that has to be made, right? I remember the, so the, the intro, and this was on purpose. So the intro on my podcast is literally everybody wants to be but nobody wants to do. Right. And that literally means everybody wants to be glamorous. They want to live these great lives. They want to, they want to be like the people on TV. They want to be like these people that look happy all the time, but nobody's willing to do the inner work, right? You're not willing to go to therapy. You're not willing to talk about it. You're not willing to leave. You're not willing to, you know, work out to, to attain what you want. You're not willing to do. It's just easier to just want it without putting in the work. Right. Um, I think Kendall says that all the time. Your want has to match your work, right? Your want has to match your work. And that's where my mentality goes when I'm thinking about somebody that really, they really see themselves at a greater level. They see themselves doing more. They see themselves being more, but they're not willing to do what it takes to become that person. It's going to start with a decision. I can't stress that enough. Like it's going to start with a decision. There's, There's only but so much therapy, There's only but so much people can say to you and give you quotes and give you phone numbers to call. And it has to start with a decision that you make that you say, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to change. Today is the day I'm going to move. Today is the day I'm going to take the next step. And that's what it was for me. Every day is a step. And I tell people all the time that every day you're going to fight for you because that's not a lie. Every day you get up and it's a new fight. Like some days you're not going to feel like getting up. Some days you might go back into your, your old ways or feel like you're getting dragged back into depression or dragged back into hurt, or you see yourself going into a pattern of dating the same guys, right? Like you're going to have to keep inventory, which is why I have a journal and I keep inventory of how I feel on a day to day. So today is 10, whatever today is, right? 10, 24. I'll write 10, 24. If I felt some kind of something that felt a little off today, I'll write, did not really feel like myself today. I felt very depressed or emotional. What happened in that moment? Okay. I remember I saw a couple walking down the street and he had his hand around her arm really tight. It really threw me off a little bit. So now when I go back and look in this journal, I can say something triggered me and I can understand what I still need to work on internally. Because now I, I, I feel angry or I feel stressed or depressed based off of somebody else's interaction outward, but it triggered something inward. So when we're starting to take accountability and inventory of how we feel and what we're going through on a day-to-day basis, that's what it means to not only be, but to also do, right? So those are, those are the important things to me. Like this is something, I'm not just saying stuff that I just read somewhere. This is stuff that I do. And I think that that's the most important part, even with like women like you, Tanya and me, and like so many other people that we're connected to, it's about the relatability, right? Right. It's about somebody that's actually been through it. Like they didn't Google.com this. They didn't just go find a PLR and they telling some stuff to you. Like this is people that have real life experiences and we're Mm -hmm. real and raw in the delivery because we really want to see people win. So I think- for me is exactly what it means to really show up for yourself. So that is what I would tell someone that's dealing with that stuff. Make sure that you are taking accountability for your actions and what parts you played in it, right? And take inventory of how you feel on a day-to-day basis so that you can do the work that's required for you to show up unapologetically as yourself. Wow. Yeah. That's it. Nothing else to say about that. That that. <laughs> let me tell y'all. If you got, if you guys are watching this on my YouTube, you can tell when someone sees when they start using them hands, and she yeah. used them hands like when she started talking. That's how <laughs> them hands. Listen, oh, you, know. <laughs> you start. I'm surprised I ain't hear no clapping. You gonna get this work today, you know? <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I love that. Um, we all want to be, but without the execution, um, it, it's just not going to happen not because it can't you know in a sense of of saying that you can't do it but 
your inability to make the choice to move is what's stopping you. I love that. Dana, where can people find you? I said that was my last question, but this is this is for real. This one is. I'm not. I'm. I'm serious, y'all. Where can people find you on social media? How can people contact you? Because what's so important if someone can relate to you and need your services, that part is what I care about the most. So, how can people find you, follow you, reach out to you? Absolutely. So I'm on every platform. <laughs> as truly inspired Martin. Like I don't play about that. It's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, fan base, wisdom. I'm on everything as truly inspired Martin. And um, my website is, I actually have two. So it's www.bs2success.com or um, www.itstrulyinspiredmartin.com. I-T-S trulyinspiredmartin.com. Um, I got digital courses, I got merch, I got coaching sessions, I got everything that you need. Um, I also, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm also a HR consultant. So I help small businesses with retention and recruiting. Uh, so that's truly HR consulting on all platforms as well. So that's, that's what I'm talking And you have a book as well called Recrown You, right? Yep. I, it's on my website or on Amazon, Recrown okay. You. All yep. right. And I will put everything in the show notes from her handles uh, where you can get her book um, the link to her podcast um, and even her website links as well so I'm definitely going to send that out thank you Dana I really appreciate this I love this conversation girl I could talk to you all day I say this to every guest I'm like I can talk to you all day because when you know I'm serious this is this is important and um, so many people are living behind these cameras they're living behind these pictures and you said something earlier and you stated that you know, some people, we, we see one part of someone's relationship life and we just automatically hashtag relationship goals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not realizing what people really are going, going through behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that. So y'all reach out to her, follow her. Um, Dana, I appreciate you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me and you have a wonderful evening. You too. Thank you. This was really good. I I truly enjoyed Dana being a guest on the podcast and being so open and vulnerable to her previous relationships that encountered domestic violence. I believe that one of the biggest takeaways um, I'm definitely going to say for me is that whoever is out here listening and you find yourself to be a victim of this, do not minimize it. Do not minimize it. Don't make excuses. Don't say things like, well, because it isn't to this degree, it hasn't um, gotten that bad. Okay, because sometimes it's easy to minimize things because maybe we want to be in a level of denial. Maybe we see the good in them and and know that, you know what, because they have some good in them. This can be overlooked, but I'm going to be honest with you. It cannot be overlooked because what happens is these situations can be considered life threatening. As a matter of fact, they are life threatening. And what happens is when we minimize things like this, it can escalate into something greater. Okay. And I know, and I do understand that there are people who can be in situations where you do believe that your life is on the line and walking away can be not as easy as it sounds. And this is where, um, and I mentioned this in podcast episode 62, is that having a plan in place is needed and calling your national domestic violence hotline is very, very essential. And I'm going to give that number again. And that number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. Please take care of yourself. Okay. Before I go, I do have my waiting list open for my next Thrive cohort. Okay. The core, the cohort will be starting in January of 2022. As you all can see, we are almost at the end of October. We have two more months before we bring in the new year. Do not overlook getting on that waiting list. Um, I, I do take a certain amount of ladies because I do like to keep it intimate. And if you know that one of those slots are yours, it is very crucial for you to join the waiting list. It will be in the show notes. Okay. Also the guest who was on the podcast today, Dana, I will put all her information in the show notes as well. Please make sure that you are following me on my social media handles. My Facebook and Instagram is Miss Tanya Speaks. That's M-S-T-O-N-Y-A-S-P-E-A-K-S. Also, this podcast will be 
in video on YouTube, on my YouTube. Okay. So please make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube as Miss Tanya Speaks and check it out over there if you want to catch the catch the video version of this particular podcast and also leave a review. If you know that this podcast has been very helpful to you and on your journey of healing and growth and development, I would really appreciate it if you go to iTunes and please leave me a review. And last but not least, share this information. Okay, we share everything else. And I know I say this on every episode, but this is an episode that um, can really um change the trajectory of somebody's life who is in a relationship that involves a level of abuse. And if you know someone who is in this situation, just share it. Um, that's all you can do. And that's all you can do. Okay. Because this is how we grow. This is how we build. And this is how we thrive. All right. Thank you all again for tuning in this week. You all have a wonderful and amazing week. And I will see you next time. <laughs>